0: You're listening to All Things Video, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. If you're a frequent listener, I want to let you know about listener support for All Things Video. I often joke that doing this podcast is my favorite way I lose money every month. There's a lot of time and hard work that goes into producing each episode and hiring a professional editor to make them sound great. It really is a labor of love, so I'm happy to do it but we'd really appreciate your contributions to help improve future episodes. If you'd like to make a small monthly donation, please visit anchor.fm slash all things video slash support. And we'll include that link in the show notes. You're listening to all things video. I'm your host, James Creech. And today's guest is Jesse Draper, founding partner of Halogen Ventures. Jesse, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me, and thank you for bringing your show to me. Of
0: course, we're here at <laughs> Halogen HQ in yes. beautiful downtown Santa Monica.
1: Yes, we are, we are, in a nice little conference room.
0: I wanted to start the conversation, the story of how we met, because it's still so crazy to me. Yes. We sat next to each other on I an airplane. I remember. Maybe five or six years ago. Yes. And I don't remember the particulars, where we were going or coming from, but it feels like it was something like South by Southwest or something like that.
1: That would make sense. I do remember talking about media and I remember talking about your job and, you know, the digital media space was very small. So I think we maybe had, had some people in common. That's
0: right. Which is it's just wild to me because I travel a lot, as I'm sure you do too, and I never talk to people on airplanes anymore. I just feel like... You know most people come in sit down do their thing but uh we got to chatting and i remember you had been doing your youtube show yeah which had become very successful and you hinted to me that there was a bigger next step in the works. Yeah. And I just I just remember saying, Oh, it was so great to meet her and I wish her a lot of success. And Aww. here we are five years later and all these incredible things have happened that I'm excited to get to talk about.
1: I know, I love that. Yeah. Isn't that cool how the world comes full circle and you're you know, we were sitting next to each other on a plane and also we're both at like very different stages of our lives Big time. since then. Yeah.
0: So let's dive in. Let's yeah, talk let's, about let's that do journey. it. Yeah. So, to start with, let's talk about your YouTube show. What inspired you to start the Valley Girl Show?
1: I grew up in Silicon Valley and I grew up around incredible entrepreneurs. Uh, I didn't think I could be one of them because I didn't see any women running companies. I am a fourth generation venture capitalist and the first female. And um, I didn't, although it's literally all I knew, the only business I knew, and um, a business I did start trying to go into. My mom worked very hard and raised four children, but the woman I knew in my life who I was closest to, who had what I considered a traditional job, uh, was my Aunt Polly, who was an actress. And um, not so traditional, but that's what was traditional to me. You know, you don't know a lot of people as a little child. And I was like, oh, that's what women do, like they're actresses. And so I went into entertainment right after college. And I was on a Nickelodeon show, and I actually had some some great success, um, considering how difficult the profession is in general. But I realized, you know, we'd film six months on, and then I'd have six months off. I'd go to cattle calls, um, and I just thought, you know, I can be I can be so much more productive than I'm being. And so I decided, instead of auditioning over those six months one season, what I was going to do was start my own show and because I had, you know, all I knew was technology, I started the first technology talk show. It was in 2008, so um, you're welcome to combat me on that, but I'm pretty sure it was the first technology talk show, and I can tell you because I had, like, the former CEO of Google Eric Schmidt and nobody cared in 2008 and I had these incredible guests so I started this show and kind of combined these two passions and through that show after two seasons it was early days of digital distribution Um, no one quite knew how to make money but in those days I realized after two seasons I'd interviewed a whole bunch of incredible men in technology who I love but where were the women? So I kind of put the bat signal out. Uh, I am a big superhero fan, as is my entire family. I was raised on superheroes, not fairy tales. And I put this bat signal out for women uh, women in technology. And so first I say, I am forever grateful to the women of fashion technology. I got Jen Hyman from rent the runway, which is now a billion dollar company. Um, I got the guilt group girls on my show and that made it okay for Cheryl Sandberg. And then it was Jessica Alba and then it was wow. Mark Cuban and it just blew up. Uh, we were nominated for an Emmy. We took the show to television. We were getting millions of views in, you know, every kind of distribution deal I could find. Um, We did all those airport and hotel screens, elevators, what have you. Uh, It's funny, a couple years ago, I bumped into the founder of Buzzfeed and I said, I heard you just launched the hotels and airports deal. And he said, yeah. I said, I know you're not making any money because I did that 10 years ago, (laughs) Um, but you are getting eyeballs. And so that's the benefit. Um, Mm -hmm. So you just have to figure out how to package that correctly. You know, I took that show. We did five seasons um, and I built a great network through that show. I started getting pitched all the time. I, you know, people are like, Jesse's looking for women. And so sometimes I'd say, "You're too early for the show. Love what you're doing. Can I write you, you know, a pennies check, whatever I can afford, five thousand um, dollars? I didn't have, a, a, you know, much money, and I'll be a strategic investor. And some of those companies ended up doing really well for me, and I used that to build a little track record. I used that track record then to raise Fund One." And now we're on fund two, and we have about 55 portfolio companies, all female led. So uh, there has to be a woman in the founding team of five. So now I run Halogen Ventures. Uh, So we, you know, as is everyone's, it was a very convoluted journey through media, but it brought me back to technology, which is what I love. And we are just seeing so many more women in technology. So I hope that the little girls of the future won't have the issue I did.
0: That's right, what an amazing story how did you go about booking these incredible guests? How did you get, you know, Eric Schmidt on the show and Sheryl Sandberg and and Mark Cuban? What was that like?
1: I am ruthless. Like Mark Cuban, I Googled his email address and I emailed him for two years and he was so nice. And I think maybe the first time he didn't get back to me and then the next time... He got back to me. I mean, I probably emailed him every week or two for like two years and he'd be like, nope, can't do it right now. Nope, can't do it right now. And then two years after I had started emailing him, he was like, I can do it tomorrow in San Francisco. At this point, I had moved to the show to Los Angeles and um, (laughs) it was just very funny. I was like, okay, I'm not there, but I will figure out how to get there and bring a crew. Cheryl Sandberg, I had met. She had these great salons at her house that she had invited me to every once in a while, and uh, she ultimately did the show. It was early days. It was It was one of sort of the first interviews she'd done more publicly. She hadn't written Lean In yet, and so she hadn't been as big on the media circuit as she is now and it was so funny cuz the show was called the Valley Girl Show I tried to make it fun um I always looked for something that you know no one knew about them and I found out she was an aerobics instructor and I said so in the 80s I heard you used to be an aerobics in- instructor and she was like how did you know that and I mean, yes, but because I did that, I was then quoted in the Wall Street Journal multiple times because every time they talked about Cheryl Sandberg as an aerobics instructor, they would reference the Valley Girls show, which I just thought was just the funniest <laughs> thing. Um, but um, I just was ruthless. I mean, Jessica Alba actually was funny comparing how I got her on the show versus Cheryl Sandberg. Cheryl Sandberg, I had to meet with maybe two PR people before. Jessica Alba, I probably had to meet with a 25-person PR team. Wow. And uh, I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" It Both was in the heat. entertainment business. Both, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but uh, Jessica's just an amazing human being. She just started Honest Company, but um, but yeah, I mean, I say just be ruthless. You can find anyone today on LinkedIn, Instagram. I mean, I think just networking has become democratized.
0: So how did you take something that you built on YouTube, this digital platform, and migrate it to television? What was that experience like? What were the lessons learned along the way?
1: Media is a complete mess. It's a shit show. And if I'm talking to a great media and tech savvy audience, as it sounds like I am, um, I'd love you to fix it. It's broken. It's so broken. We need new business models. It can't just be sponsorship-based. And I think we're seeing that more and more. We're definitely investing in companies that we find uh, interesting in the media space that are doing something a little bit differently. Um, But uh, what I learned is, you know, digital distribution only pays the bills in certain ways. Uh, You have to be really kind of crafty about how you um, make that business model. And then once we got to television, we were on CBS in San Francisco, and that was a whole different ball game because then I had to learn all about syndication and what that looks like and what if we launched the show nationally, like what does that look like? And syndication is so different than network television. And then you look today where everyone's cutting, you know, cutting the cord. And um, I think once everyone has cut the cord, we will kind of go back to these older models and media will be kind of on top again. But right now you look at all of the studios and they're a mess. They're trying to figure out how to make money. And, you know, luckily they have a lot of money to sit on, but we need to solve a lot of problems. I think first and foremost being an actual correct number of views <laughs> per show you know like Netflix actually has all of that data shares it sometimes but the fact that Nielsen is still around doing the same thing where you get the results so much later is preposterous to me and I do see changes there and then I think we'll start to see some more kind of like Comcasty type roll-ups in terms of packages you can buy TV type packages um, but it'll It'll include more things like uh, an Amazon Prime subscription and more consumer-type things, and that will be probably a better business model than what we're seeing now. That said, sponsorships do work. You can get some pretty nice sponsorships for great shows, et cetera, but I think that, um, yeah, I'm looking for innovative, disruptive media technologies, and there's still a huge opportunity
0: there. Did you find that your digital audience that you built on YouTube came to television with you or did you have to build a new audience from scratch in the new medium?
1: It was a different audience because um, it was local because it was syndication. So it was like a local audience. And so we did have to do some press around that and kind of focus on like the more local viewers. So yes, that's such a good question, but it was also still pretty early days of Twitter, etc., And so we were still trying to figure out how you connect the social mediums to the audiences and now there's so many great technologies doing that and it's it's incredible to think back and be like wow they used to just cast based on talent which is really important and I think still should be being done and now they're casting based on you know social media following and it's mind-blowing you're like how did this person get this role and it's like oh they had like 14 million followers on instagram and that's just my doesn't role.
0: necessarily mean they can act but totally it means totally they have built-in distribution i do yeah. find
1: some of those have less you know speaking roles but it's also really cool and it's how the business works sure. you know
0: So you grew up in the Valley. You mentioned you're a fourth generation venture capitalist. Yes. So you're surrounded by this idea of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Was that in your DNA? Had you always considered yourself an entrepreneur?
1: I think it's in my DNA in that like, I was raised by a father and grandfather who always made me look at everything as a business, but I think... As with everything, it has to be experience-based, too. And I worked my butt off. Um, And so my dad would always say things to me like, okay, you're an actress. Like, how are you going to make money? Consistent money. And so I was always thinking outside of the box. And even when I was on the Nickelodeon show, I remember thinking, okay, I'm on hiatus. Oh, what's this Twitter thing like? I'm going to go to the first Twitter conference. I don't know why. It just seems like something I should do. Um, And I just was always kind of trying to figure out how to uh, look at everything as a business and stay ahead sort of like in terms of technology.
0: So when you did launch your own business, right, thinking of this series you created as a business in that way, what was the hardest part about being a first-time founder?
1: Oh, man, it's always hard. I think, um, you know, hiring and firing and uh, finding great talent scaling a company we ultimately created this whole blog conglomerate in the blogging days where we actually acquired lalawag which was the first la tech blog and we also ran valley loop which was sort of this like silicon valley tech blog and then we had the valley girl show so we actually tried to build this like media conglomerate and I think we didn't raise money. And so, and I always think back, there was this moment where I was like, either I go raise money or we continue to kind of operate as leanly as possible as we have been. And um, when I stopped doing the show was around when Britt Marin, who started Brit & Co., which is still, she's created a nice little media empire and not so little. um, And she's amazing. And she was thinking about products first which i always thought was really smart but she went out and raised a bunch of money but by that time i had learned this was a really difficult return on investment. And growing up with venture capitalists around me, I know that the moment you take money from an investor, you better figure out how to pay it back many times over. So I felt like I'd been through the ringer. I was, there were, I mean, also media is the wild west. I was blackmailed by a producer who like there's, was, it was crazy. I think I got burnt out and it's funny cause I always look back and think, okay, maybe one day down the road when i'm an old woman i'll bring the show back because by then the media model will not be so broken you're asking me now where i've processed it's been years so i've processed that whole journey but there were years where i couldn't even talk about it because i still felt so close to it and i felt so burnt out and i worked so hard to make this thing happen i mean i you know, they always say like, know when to walk away. And I did not know that. Oh, it's hard. <laughs> I, kept oh, going, yeah. I kept going, I kept going, I kept going, I kept going. And I was just, you know, killing myself. Like. I
0: felt the same thing in the first startup that I worked at because it's so much a part of your identity. And yeah. particularly when you're young and you feel like, oh, I've contributed so much to building this and I'm so emotionally attached to it and the experience and the people who are part of it, that it is, you kind of lose that sense of self and the greater sense of future of, well, what's the right move for me? Uh, Because you're so enveloped in this thing that you've helped bring to life,
1: yeah. And you can't see it outside; you just see what you're doing inside the company. And now, as an investor, I'm always sort of looking at my companies, and I'm like, "Hey, I just want to explain to you. I'm seeing the The macro picture. Yeah, I'm seeing the macro picture. So I know you think you're going the right direction, but I've seen this movie before. Uh So We need to change something or else it implodes. Yeah, you take all of that. Now, I love seeing the macro picture, but yeah, when I was in it, I was so just like, got to make this thing happen. And I worked, I mean, it was a six year journey, but I loved it. And I feel like it gave me the best education and it helped me build an incredible network too, because I had these great entrepreneurs on who then, you know, I was one of the first interviews with Drew from Dropbox and then that went public. Julia Hartz from Eventbrite, that went public. Jen Hyman will probably go public. I mean, these companies were incredible. And then a lot of them you know, like Todd Wagner, who was Mark Cuban's business partner on broadcast.com and a couple others I kept in touch with, and he ended up being one of my first investors. And so it was an interesting way for me to develop a network because like your show where we're sitting here, you get to spend an hour with someone who, you know, you learn all about them and Mm -hmm. you create this connection. And I think I think that was just a magic sauce for me.
0: Absolutely. What were some of the lessons that you learned? What was the advice that these incredible entrepreneurs shared with you on your program?
1: More than the advice, because they all had incredible advice, but I got an MBA through that. You know, I learned so much about how large and small organizations were run. And when you're in your early twenties, it was just like a, it was just like this speedy way to learn all about all types of businesses. And so I started seeing patterns just across like, you know, high growth businesses that were scaling really fast. And then, you know, I learned silly lessons early on, like, don't have a startup who doesn't have venture backed funding, uh, on your show when it takes your show three weeks to deliver a new episode because you never know if they'll go under in that time or what have you. Like we had some funny things where it'd take us a while to edit an episode and then the company be like, you don't need to release it because, um, we went under. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And I'm like, well, that was an easy lesson to learn. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, I started having, uh, companies of a certain caliber on and, um, but just understanding from startup to corporation. Cause then we'd have, you know, I had the CEO, Joe Saunders, uh, visa and talking to him versus, and visiting that company versus, you know, these earlier stage startups and how they all operate and how they all think about profitability. And, you know, I had Elon Musk. Oh my God, this Elon Musk interview, like goes down in history as just like, I would like to see him because I bet he gets a lot more flack for it than I even do. And it was like, you know, my show was goofy and silly and ridiculous. um, And I branded it all pink. And it was sort of like, how do I take The Tonight Show and Ellen DeGeneres and make tech approachable? And I'd come off of a goofy Nickelodeon show and... I wore this silly outfit with um, Elon Musk and he was so cool. He was just the nicest guy. But And I've seen him a couple of times since, but not for a while. But this interview comes back to haunt me over <laughs> and Why over is that? and over because it was one of the first... Uh, Interviews I think I'd ever really done. I think it was our first season or our second season, and I hadn't quite figured everything out. And, you know, as you understand, like, your show gets better and better over time. The more seasons you watch season one, you watch the pilot, it's like, oh, it's like just night and day. And I think, I mean, I asked him such stupid questions, and I just, you know, you criticize yourself. You're like your own worst Mm -hmm. critic. But watch it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, they've spliced it up on every which, like, stupidest interviews of all time. Um, So that's, that's, I think why it's like, (laughs) it's like, how do I get rid of that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Nice. So you're, you're meeting all these incredible entrepreneurs. Then you put out this call to uh, feature more women in tech and and tell their stories and you get a chance to meet a lot of incredible women and and hear about their journey. And you start writing some checks, right? As an angel. How do you take that and and decide, okay, well, you know, it's time to launch a fund. What, what uh, sparked that? interest to say, okay, let's let's um, go out to other investors and, and find a way that we can create this vehicle to invest in more female-led businesses?
1: I mean, I think I hit this moment after I was blackmailed by a producer and met them in a parking garage and did everything you're not supposed to do when someone's blackmailing you. Um, but I think I was, like, so burnt out. I had worked so hard, and I did not see the show getting to where I wanted it to be in the right way. Like, it, we just... I, th- I actually think back and I'm like, uh, you know, it's like hindsight's 2020. I'm like, we were, I was there like we could have taken it like to Ellen DeGeneres. Um, but um, I think I just was burnt out and I hit a really tough moment. And then also I realized my show was not paying my bills, but my investments were. And so I actually had invested in one company that I then sold on the secondary market for a 25x return in less than 18 months. I had created this nice little track record and um, with these literally like $5,000 checks, whatever I could afford. And I used that and thought, okay, well I can take this to the next level. I have a track record. and. Um, I'd watched my dad raise many funds over time, and my brother was running an accelerator called Boost, um, and I knew how startups worked, and I knew I had great deal flow, which is sort of everything. And I also had this marketing angle, which makes us a lot more unique, where it's like you can break down the secret sauce of a killer startup all day long, but what you need is a great product and then figure out how to market it and get it out there. And I could do that. I had great celebrity connections. I had great marketing connections. I knew how to talk about them in the press as I am today. So I knew I had sort of like a a niche there. And then I started focusing on women.
0: And specifically women founders in consumer technology. Why why that category? What attracted you to it?
1: Um, Consumer tech was something I knew and I understood very well. And again, when we think about a product, it's like I knew I could take these products to market and just help grow them in the media. wherever and beyond. I knew how to uh, get exposure for these companies. And that was just something, I mean, I know consumer very, very well. I'm a consumer. And while I love B2B and software, I feel like I can add more value coming from media with uh, these consumer technology products. So I think that was the impetus now we do do some b2b investing i mean we really are looking for the best deals and um, and just so your audience knows we we have about 55 portfolio companies big and small we get in as early as we possibly can we're investors in media companies like the skim and Blue Fever, that's a really cool AI curation product for uh, teenage girls. And um, we have Stereo, which was just written up in Rolling Stone, actually, which is kind of a new Spotify for drivers. We uh, don't do a ton of media, but I feel like since we're talking media, I'll just talk about my media companies. Definitely.
0: And why, why don't you do too many media investments, or media tech at least?
1: I mean, this whole interview has been about my battle with media. So uh, I think I'm very discerning. I look for the most disruptive new business models. You know, the skim's really groundbreaking in terms of they started with an email list and now they're an enormous media company. I, I think that media companies out there have no idea how big they are. And they have 7 million daily readers and consumers who love them and are super fans and read them and buy everything from books to wine to financial products. And uh, I think, I mean, Carly and Danielle from The Skim have just blown my mind in how they've created a new type of media company.
0: Particularly at a time when a lot of their peers and in, in call it the publisher category have struggled, right? You yes. see these mergers between like a Pop Sugar and a Group 9 or yes. Refinery29, right? There's a lot of consolidation in that space. Right. We're seeing an evolution of the business model. Some of them grew up in a blog era yeah. and now have to migrate to video and social, right. and that's a learning curve. And yes, I think the, the, the other element here is that a lot of the ad spending has gotten consolidated with Google, Facebook, right, Amazon. And so these other publishers are looking for scale. They're looking for ways that they can compete against these larger ad players.
1: Oh, for sure. And then, like, all of those AdWords and things, too, are getting so expensive now Um, in terms of when I'm looking at our products and things. I'm just seeing, you know, the numbers go up and up and up. And it's like you really have to... It's a whole new vertical within the marketing um, budget. It's really fascinating, like from Facebook to Google AdWords to Instagram now. And, you know, we really have to take that into account.
0: What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions for the future of the media or the technology space, we can talk about consumer tech if that's more your sweet spot. What do you see? What do you forecast?
1: A lot more female billionaires. One of my investors is Cindy Eckert, and she sold a company for a billion dollars. It was the first female Viagra. Uh, She sold it to Valiant Pharmaceuticals, and um, she is a living, breathing example of what I'm hoping to create with our fund. And that's not to say we don't like men. I have three male CEOs in our portfolio, I love them. There just has to be a female in the executive team, that's very important to me. And I think you know the data is there that women raise half as much money and double the return and we're seeing more profitable companies uh run by women when you look at the uber situation and the lyft situation right now where we have these public companies that are not profitable and people are mind blown that they're not profitable that's not an issue women raise less money and like we have a company that raised 1.5 million dollars they're doing 20 million in revenue right now so quickly and They may never have to raise again, and it's just like they raised what they needed versus the companies that raise and raise and raise because they're like, Well, I have to defend this market, I have to defend this market. It's like, or you could make money. And once you're making enough money, you're also defending the market. So uh, we're seeing some really interesting data around women and profitability as well. And then this study came out recently that uh, women in founding teams actually exit a year earlier than male run teams. And so that w- that's a great study as well that PitchBook did but uh, I digress. What was your question?
0: <laughs> what else is coming next? Those are all phenomenal things. And I'm excited to see more <laughs> female billionaires. Next? Yeah.
1: I think, um, and then just in terms of trends and technology that I'm excited about, I realized we have this company called Hop Skip Drive, and it started as this Uber type service for families and childcare that. Um, is safer. They uh, fingerprint their drivers, which Uber and Lyft does not do. And they, you can schedule. It's just like a different type of service. So um, moms and dads love it when they have to like bring their kid to tennis or be 10 places at once or whatever it is. So that's going great. It's all over the West Coast. And then they launched um, the LA Foster Care System partnership. And now, because of that, they're in 10-plus cities across the country. So one, they're providing safe transportation for the foster care system. In order for foster kids to go anywhere to any event, they have to have safe government provided transportation. And so one, they're doing a beautiful thing. Two, they're making a ton of money. When you look at the government as a customer, it's a bigger customer than the Fortune 500 companies combined. I started thinking about that and I was like, God, there's there's so many government inefficiencies that can be solved and the technology exists. So we're looking for products with a consumer-facing element that are in, like, I don't want two highly regulated industries, we don't do highly regulated industries, but that have an opportunity to really fix something within the government and make a lot of money while they're doing it. We're also an investor in a company called Binti that is adding transparency and putting adoption and foster care online and helping matching families with uh Children much faster because a lot of that is still done by hand, Um, and so it's a real problem and it's a real business
0: too. I had friends who uh, who just adopted a kid and they had to go up to Washington State where the baby was born and wait for a fax to happen between the Washington State foster system and the California State foster system to give them the all clear that they could fly back the baby to to Los Angeles. It is that's how antiquated it is. It is
1: crazy. So, um, Felicia, the founder, is doing a phenomenal job getting in there and uh, they're now the major software provider for social services agencies um, and helping match these families. And um, they're building and building and building beyond that. So it's really been amazing to watch, but so that's something I'm just personally very passionate about. I would love for all these listeners to think really hard. And I don't have time to start this company, but I really want a police report app. I've been talking about this for so long. Please send me what I'm looking for. I want a police report app that we can simply fill out a police report on our phones that plugs into all of police departments. Uh, So simple, and it doesn't exist. Police departments have sort of like this you know clunky technology sometimes you can fill out a form but it doesn't really go anywhere my credit card was stolen mm. and it was i i solved the crime i literally just solved the crime it detective was detective draper on yes, the case yes de- exactly <laughs> detective draper my credit card was stolen they charged $5000 at a store i'd never been to it was a vintage clothing store in west hollywood and I was like, God, when was I in West Hollywood? Oh, I went to Magnolia Bakery and got a cupcake, as one does. And then someone at Magnolia Bakery had taken a picture of my credit card and then charged it. I went on Yelp. I found five other people this had happened to. I ended up getting like the owner's like phone number and all this stuff. And um, I just wanted to report the crime. I just wanted to report it. So I called the non-emergency police number because I know that the police have like much more important things to deal with <laughs> at the moment on the street. Sure. And so I called the non-emergency police number and they said, OK, we're sending a dispatch officer. Dispatch officers are often volunteers who then fill out notes by hand, a form by hand. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting. In 24 hours, I have to hop on a flight to New York. And I'm like, OK, you know what? I'm just going to go down to the police department. I go down to the police department because I am just trying to be a good Samaritan. So I go down, I talk to them, I say, hey, I just wanted to report this crime, and by the way, I solved it. Um, and <laughs> I don't they, need any prizes, yes, but yes. Yeah. And they were like, oh yeah, we're not gonna be able to help. First of all, you have to go home and wait for the dispatch officer. Oh my goodness. Secondly, they're not gonna be able to help you. You should call the FTC or the Better Business Bureau. I don't know if you've called either of them, don't even bother because I am. I was so frustrated with my experience and like, you know, I'm in consumer, I'm all about user experience. One of them, I had to like do an audio questionnaire all about like answer like a hundred questions about drug related crimes. And I'm like, so this is credit card theft. This is different. It was, I mean, this was just mind blowing to me. And I'm like, if I could just fill out a police report app, like a little form on the police report app yeah. and then we can geotag it
0: upload a photo or video upload a photo yeah. or video
1: like how we're starting to work with you plug into ring you plug into next door i've like built this business for you guys just like reach out <laughs> to goes, me I have silver like platter 15 revenue streams uh-huh. i just don't have time to build it so no. i'm looking for the engineer to do so because then we can kind of better source You know crime information for the police. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we should be Detectives like the police like have a job to do and they should continue to do that. Anyway, I just thought that would be That's something I would like
0: well, you are, you're already ahead of the game because one of the questions I ask everyone who comes on the show is, if you were starting a business today, what would you do? Because I find that you know, we are working in you know—I I run a software company, you have a venture fund, but you can't turn off that part of your brain yeah. where you just constantly think as an entrepreneur, this could be better, right? And you There's, shouldn't. No, absolutely not. So I love the fact that you're encouraging our <laughs> listeners to go out and start this business and you can fund them.
1: So come find me, yeah. halogenvc.com, at Draper on Instagram. I am very, very approachable online. Um, come find me. I want to build this company.
0: I love it. Uh, I also wanted to talk to you about Los Angeles, right? What do you think about the LA uh, startup ecosystem? And as someone who hails from the Valley originally, what are the differences? What do you see as the opportunities in LA today?
1: Such a good question. I love the LA tech ecosystem. I went to UCLA and I stayed down here. And in terms of consumer technology, this is the best of. It also, in terms of women and diversity, is the most diverse. You know, I'm part of an organization that the mayor put together um, to include more diversity and inclusion within the tech community. And um, we really are winning. When I go to other cities, I'm like, wow, this is really a problem. It's still like the typical kind of like, hoodie look, if you will. And um, so I think that's something I'm very proud of. And then also having been here and run my show here years ago, I feel like I've watched it grow and blossom. And, you know, I was here watching the tech scene, scene get going before Amazon was here. And now we have Amazon and Facebook and we have an Apple just opened a studio. I mean, it's amazing. And so um, I think this is where people should be. And people are like, oh, there's not as great engineering talent. What are you talking about? Like we have UCLA, we have USC, we have LMU, we have so many universities here, pumping out incredible engineers. I mean, I'm blown away that people say that. And um, we are also stealing people from San Francisco. I mean, I know people who are commuting back and forth and trying to figure out how to move here. So I think there's a huge opportunity here, you know, and then we have so many funds, so many accelerators. Techstars is here. And then every single university has an accelerator and beyond. So I think just in terms of a technology hub, other cities have no idea what they're missing, but also we're going to see... We just had Honey, a huge um, multi-billion, multi-billion dollar billion exit yeah, yeah, from a LA company, mm-hmm. a lot of LA funds, and um, I think we're going to see a lot more of those.
0: Yes, also very long LA, very excited about uh, everything that's happening here. It's really cool to be a part of it. Jesse, what does the future hold for you and for Halogen Ventures?
1: Let me tell you about the future. I think we will hopefully have funded 100 female entrepreneurs within the next five years. I hope we've had more than a handful of billion dollar exits. As I mentioned before, we're launching a podcast soon, so I'll keep everyone posted on that. And then, you know, I think I'm looking for the most game-changing technologies. I mean, running a venture fund is a, a 10, 20, 30 year play. So, I'm hoping that we're funding the best of the best in consumer technology. It would be great if they're based in LA. We also invest all across the country. And I'm hoping that we see a lot more diversity and inclusion in founding teams in general because the data is there that they will do better.
0: Couldn't agree more. And Jesse, thank you so much for sharing your story. Encourage uh, everyone out there to, if you're a co-ed team, if you're a female-led team, to get in touch with Jesse and share your next great business idea. And uh, thank you for telling us about your journey through media and consumer technology. And as a venture capitalist, it's awesome to see the evolution.
1: Thanks. And thanks for reaching out after our plane flight together. That's right. Here we are.
0: (laughs) Back together again after all these years. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another episode of All Things Video. If you have any questions or suggestions for future content, please send us an email at allthingsvideopodcast at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes.